Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a learning session with special guest Rabbi Danny Landis, Unforgiven, When Tshuva Might Not Be Enough. First I'll tell you the official stuff, then I'll tell you the real stuff, okay? Um, Rabbi Landis was uh, ordained by Rev. Uh, Aryeh Levin, Sivya Yehuda Cook, and the chief rabbi, Rabbi Avram Shapiro in New York. Um, he was a founding faculty member of the Simon Wiesenthal Center in Los Angeles, director of education, and of Yeshiva of Los Angeles, the Van Lenov Chair of Social Ethics. He was also an adjunct associate professor of law at Loyola Law School, and he taught for the Webster Foundation for over 20 years. Uh, he, came, he made Aliyah and came to Pardes in, uh, in Jerusalem in 1995 as director and has been active in creation of advanced Talmud classes, the Kiyut Talmud, the Fellows, um, PEP, the Kolel, the Executive Seminar Programs, the Annual Blaustein and Brettler Scholar Series, Pardes USA, and the strengthening of the Pardes Beit Midrash. He was the first rabbi to be invited by Indonesia to speak publicly at the Forum of Religions. He announced in July 2016 that after 21 years of dedicated service to Pardes, he would be leaving at the end of the summer. He is now the director of Yashrut, having founded the Institute in 2018 to build civil discourse, really important, through a theology of integrity, justice, and tolerance. Yashrut includes a smicha initiative as well as programs for rabbinic leaders. He has ordained 43 rabbis during his career, seven of whom received smicha from him under the auspices of Yashrut in 2019. And, he, and in that year in Jerusalem, he ordained Daniel Atwood, that became the first openly gay person to be ordained as an Orthodox rabbi. Among his publications are uh, co-editor with Alex Robin of Genocide, Critical Issues in the Holocaust, editor of Confronting Omnicide, and um, uh, the Jewish Law Section of My People's Prayer Book, and he published articles in Tikkun, the Jewish Review of Books. Well, the real story is, um, <laughs> he's from Chicago, and I'm from Milwaukee, and we met at Camp Ramon, Wisconsin. Um, uh, I remember in 1964, in particular, I was uh, 21. You don't have to do the math, I'm 80. Um, <laughs> The, um, and, uh, and I was a counselor in Machon, and he was a camper in Machon. Not in my bunk, I think. I think we were in Mike Manitow's bunk. Oh, sorry. Okay, <laughs> whatever, right. Um, and then after both of us um, became rabbis and found ourselves in Los Angeles, um, he, together with Rabbi, um, Rabbi David uh, Ellenson and I, um, did this kind of traveling roadshow of the three movements, right, to explain the three movements for a number of years while we were here. Um, uh, I had, uh, I, for many years, from, since 1974, I've been teaching a course on, together with Arthur Rosette originally, on, um, on Jewish law at the law school at UCLA, and each year we would have a, um, a con an Orthodox rabbi, conservative rabbi, and a reform rabbi come to describe what that means in contemporary life, and he was the Orthodox rabbi a couple of times. Um, so, uh, I mean, this goes back a very long way, and I must say, since those years, a lot has happened, hasn't it? <laughs> right? And we've been all right, the three of us. <laughs> okay. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Okay, first the official story, and then I'll give you the real story. The official... Start. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Um, a mundane announcement. 
Uh, if someone is driving a beige car, you left, you didn't leave your keys and you're blocking someone in. So if we could just move your car, that would be awesome. Uh, that's all they call me. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Okay, go ahead. Thank you. So the official story is, is that at uh, Camp Ramah, which uh, Wisconsin, um, which I was sent to, my parents were looking for a kosher sports camp. I might have been the only kid sent to Ramah, Wisconsin for sports because they <laughs> try, to, try to do something with me. I had my uh, first uh, class in theology with uh, the, young, the young Elliot Dorf, and it was riveting. And it was special. Uh, it also had the impact of uh, every conversation. I hear he's a very personable guy. But every conversation I've had with uh, Rabbi Dr. Professor Dorf has been extremely illuminating. And I've always had to move myself up to get to that level that you were trying to slut me to. And you're still, still doing it. That's the official story. The unofficial story is, because it just came back to me. So I used to live on Holtz, right, block down. And when they put in the, uh, Eruv was put in, there was a group of about 20 rabbis who lived in different parts. And Eruv was uh, small at that time. Um, East, it got as far as La Sienica, as far as, as on purpose, as far as uh, this shoal. And, uh, and the first week, um, we're supposed to be on alert. Um, I get an emergency call half hour before Shabbos. There's a problem at the 7-Eleven. And I should go there, but the emergency crew, all non-Jews, are coming, but I should be able to direct them and all the rest. So I went, and, um, and I was in my jeans, whatever, a T-shirt. And um, I'm looking, and then at that exit that's on uh, La Sienica, entrance exit, uh, I saw what had happened. A, a large truck had knocked down, the, uh, knocked down the wire, and I found one end, because it was still up high, and I found the other end, and I was holding it like this. <laughs> And all the congregants to this worthy synagogue were passing by, coming for, you know, Davina. And this is what they said. They said, good Shabbos, Rabbi Landis. How are you, Rabbi Landis? And, you know, it was getting really painful. And Rabbi Dorf came by. He said, oh, Rabbi Dorf. He comes by. He walks up to me and says, Actually, your stance is more emblematic of another religion. <laughs> Thank you, Rabbi Dorf. You know, I held that story for a lot of years. Um, anyway, situation Israel is no laughing matter. I believe they were headed, or there are people in Israel heading us to a, what's now called very recently, um, autocratic legalism, uh, though one gal, I read uh, Hebrew translation. I thought she wrote it in Hebrew, but I didn't realize she's a professor at, at uh, Princeton. Really tough in Hebrew. Um, but she writes about a legal, uh, and she's really studying Orban in uh, Hungary and Erdogan in Turkey. And with basically legal, uh, illegal autocracy, 
doesn't come in with the tanks. They come in with an election. They don't say what their goal really is. They keep themselves pretty. No one talked about judicial reform. I'm just telling you. Maybe a hint, but, you know, but nothing, nothing special about that. And, um, and it is, they don't come with tanks. Come in with a democratic election. Hopefully the last democratic election for them in their minds. They come in with a coalition of people that each has their own one thing that they want very much. I'll just, you know, the uh, Haredim, and I come from that. The Haredim want many things. You know, they want housing, other things, entitlements, yes, okay. But they want a, a absolute pittor, exemption from the army. That's it. The religious Zionists, not all religious Zionists are settlers, but the settlers are the dominant thing. They want one thing. They want the land, and they want nobody else necessarily on the land. To think, they'll tell you that. Just talk, you know, just talk to people. The, the Likud wants power, money, patronage. There's a prime minister who wants to keep out of jail. All of this, keep one guy out of jail. And I reviewed this with my son Isaac, who uh, teaches in my institution as well. Um, but he says, you know, you're forgetting from the other side. And uh, all of us who are out there um, protesting, uh, the secular Zionists, I'm not a secular Zionist, the secular, I'm a recovering religious Zionist. <laughs> the secular the secular Zionists, what do they want? As one fellow, my son reports and said, We thought we had another 25 years. There's an inner weakness in secular Zionism. Everybody has a child who's actually living in Oslo or living in London or living in Berkeley or a daughter who's in L.A. doing fashion. You know, no, there's a real, real problem and they feel this is the last stance. <laughs> the fact that I can march, just be allowed to march with secular Zionists and actually spoken in a couple of different things. What a busha, what a shame for them. 20 years ago, they'd never let me speak. What, have a religious guy, a follower of Cook, guy wearing a kippah? But now they're pretty desperate, so they have to look for allies also. And that's how I see the situation. Um, what to make of it further? Well, within it, we're going to learn Torah because <laughs> your rabbi has announced that we're, we're going to learn Torah. So, <laughs> so I, I could go on with the Sunday morning politics um, forever. But, uh, but I actually, I, I'm the, I'm. I'm I have four major talks. This is number three of the four talks I'm giving. They're all, because I have a couple of people showing up, but, uh, and they all use different, uh, different Torah material. Because I'm in this, it's because it's a wide issue, and I'm looking in, I wish I could find easy psak, easy, you know, halachic ruling, but I need, you know, this is the language we speak, this is how we understand ourselves. And as it happens, some of the issues are talked about. So what I'm going to do with you today, what you have here, 
is the story of uh, story of Ahav. Actually, the story of Ahab, right? But not uh, Melville. The story of I, I did read it two years ago. Did read it the whole book. Seven trips to America. I read the whole thing. Okay. Um, so Ahab, Ahab, the seventh king of Israel, the other person in the story, three people in the story, the other person is Elijah, Eliyahu, and I'm not going to talk too much about Eliyahu. Eliyahu's, just maybe one thing to show you about Eliyahu that we sing so sweetly about on, uh, on uh, Motzei Shabbos and Abdullah, Eliyahu, that, you know, at every bris, Eliyahu is there, the Kisesha Eliyahu. Okay, ah, thank you for that. Thank you for that. So, but Elio, very, very tough guy. A lot to be said about him, but I'm going to try not to talk about him. I'm going to talk about Achav. So, review briefly, even though I've got a couple of pages with you. Right, look. Soften you up with a couple of stories, right? Now we do a little work and try to get enough knowledge, background, right, about the stories. Remind yourself about that. Then I want to move into the Gomorrah just for a moment or two. And then, of course, the Rambam, because I do look for answers in the Rambam. That much I learned from Rabbi Dorf. Now, um, So in 1 Kings chapter 16, that's the first page of what I have. 1 Kings chapter 16, they talk about Ahab, the son of Omri. Omri already introduced some Baal worship. That's bad. And then in verse 30, Ahab does the evil Messiah of, uh, of the Shem, Harabe Neadonoi. And, you know, what's he doing? And 31 you know, the Hebrew is like really uh, great, Lamed Aleph. He says, uh, Lamed Aleph, Rabbi Rembam, my teacher. You see Lamed Aleph there? I know, put on your glasses. <laughs> Just read the first uh, couple lines, because I didn't give you COVID, I'm sorry. Lamed Aleph, Vayahi. Vayahi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Comes to the base measures to learn with other English. Lachto. Yeah, the type is not so great. Lachto. Right. And it came to pass, if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, Yeravim, the son of the Vat, that he, in other words, he covered all the sins of Yeravim ben Devat who's the paradigm, the Talmud will talk about it, we'll get to that, who is the paradigm of evildoers. He's the one who split the kingdom, ten, ten tribes to the top, putting up uh, uh, um, uh, places of idolatry in Bethel and then further up to in, in Dan, and, uh, and you know, so people wouldn't go on pilgrimage anymore to Yerushalayim. Wouldn't even split it. I mean, you know, terrible guy. He covered it. It was simple. That was like nothing for him. That, what could he marry then? He took Ezevel. 
Jezebel. Uh, we're going to talk about her. So she's the main character, too. Daughter of Enthabal from Tyre, uh, the Tzidonins, okay? And they serve Baal, and they worship, and 32 uh, altar for Baal, and the Hasabal in, in Shomron, and 33. Also, it wasn't enough. The Asherah tree for all the nature lovers. Worship nature, okay? And they did. In other words, all this is very interesting term, Lahachis et Hashem Elkei Yisrael, to provoke the Lord God. In other words, he knew what he was doing. Lahachis, you know, it means to like, not just he believed, there was a function to this. He was poking, 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 as it were, if possible, uh, God. Now, what happens next is a whole series of uh, encounters, which I don't have on the page, and skirmishes, and then the one I don't have on the page, the battle of the gods, the battle of the bands on Har Carmel, Mount Carmel, right? And, you know, it doesn't matter how many priests there are, and there's hundreds of priests uh, of of idolatry, they can't get the uh, altar to light, right? And we know the story. We love the story. And what happened... and what happens next? What happens next is Eliyahu takes, his, you know, takes all this water and from heaven comes down. In the meantime, he's mocking the priests and all that. And then afterwards, he slaughters the, uh, he slaughters the priests of uh, the idolatrous priests. Prophets, excuse me. The idolatrous prophets. You, you could be a prophet. Idolatrous prophet. You send away, you got a, you know, you get a certificate. <laughs> I had to send away. I did a wedding in end of June in Sun Valley. And they didn't consider my smicha good enough. So my my sins, especially my sins, I send away to the one of those Mills that send you back. Yeah, I sent them. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't. Believe, you know, they didn't care. You know, send the twenty-five dollars. <laughs> we'll make you. We'll make you a pastor. So they made me a pastor. So, <laughs> so Ahab, verse one. So, oh, oh, here's my point. My point is when we hear this Haftorah, and as a kid, you know, I heard the Haftorah how many times? I also learned it, but. I thought that's the end of things. But it turned out all it was was a skirmish. The power is with the king. And the power over the king is Jezebel. And that's just a loss. And you have people who are ready to take a loss, big losses, even as long as they think they can manipulate things so that at the end, they'll still be in power. By the way, sorry to make that analogy, but that's exactly what's happening. They'll take an economic loss. They'll allow companies billions of dollars to leave Israel. They'll allow for terrible panic and, and dismay within the secular Zionist camp that in one of the best schools in Tel Aviv, the 230 kids sign a petition, we're not going to the army, they'll take it. We have people to put in the army. Not Haredim. Religious Zion. We'll take the loss. Why? Because we'll be in dismay. And what happens when you're in dismay and chaos? 
What kind of leader do you need? A strong leader. And we have a strong leader. And if you think it's Netanyahu, you're wrong. Smotrich, Ben Gavir, they're ready. They are totally ready. And if you listen to them, this is what they're basically saying. Don't worry about it. We have things covered. We'll suffer for a while. Some people will leave the country. And that's verse 1 of the next uh, chapter. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he slain all the prophets with the sword. Jezebel sends a messenger. I'm sorry, I should say Ezebel, but somehow saying the word Jezebel. I grew up in the south side of Chicago. There's a rhythm to that. Jezebel. Then Jezebel sent a message unto Elijah saying, let the gods do to me, and more so, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow. In other words, if I don't slay you. And what did Eliyahu, who won this incredible battle, do? He fled for his life. He fled and fled for his life. He went somewhere that even know where he was. He lay down be, be high, under the rotem, under the broom tree. Five, he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said unto him, Kum es, arise, eat. And that's like a Jewish, <laughs> Jewish moment there. By the way, you see, have you seen... Uh, what movie am I thinking about? Oppenheimer. It's Robbie Grossman who works with me, my CEO. Have you seen Oppenheimer? You have to see Oppenheimer. Just at least we're to see the collection of Jewish brains. Okay? Oppenheimer. One, point, one consistent thing in the, in the film is one of the guys who later on got a, a Nobel Prize periodically gives Oppenheimer something to eat. Because Oppenheimer forgets to eat. A Jewish moment. Arise, and I'm, I'm willing to come back and talk about that movie. <laughs> the next night I saw Golda. I saw three movies this year, all night after night, and I'm also happy to talk about Barbie. Now, there's a lot there. So, so things, are, things are terrible. They're, they're, Jezebel knows that Eliyahu's formidable, but not formidable enough. She'll take it to the brink. She doesn't care. So now we come to the story that you're familiar with about Navot, the Jezreelite. That's just the name of an area. He's a Jewish guy. Had a vineyard in Jezreel. That's 1 Kings 21. It was right next to Ahab's uh, mansion, palace. Ahab says, let's exchange vineyard. I'll get you something good. I'm the king. I'll get you a different one. I like the one right next. So let, me take your, let me take yours or I'll pay you. And the vote says to Ahab, chas v'sholom, but he says, actually, how's he say it? Chalila li mehashem. Beautiful. We say the word chalila. That's right. Chalila li Hashem. Mititi et nachalat avotai lach. To give from the inheritance of my father unto thee. It's not easy to give up an inheritance. 
I'm going to lie down right now. I'm sorry, I'm going now to the control. I'm going to lie down right now and give the inheritance, our moral inheritance, everything that has to do with the land of Israel, all the aspirations, even the failures. We're going to hand, hand it over to guys that are ready to turn Yad Vashem into just a public relations complete gimmick, to turn it into, I'm not, I'm not apologizing anymore, if you just read what they want to do with Yad Vashem, turn it into a fascist, fascist machine for propaganda with no self-criticism. They were turning to education into a joke. They wanted to Wexner people here. They forbade Itamar, just uh, forbade any of the mid-level management for spending a year, a year in Harvard be, that's uh, provided by the Wexner Foundation because it's involved with very leftist ideas. Leftist ideas, democracy, <laughs> transparency, competence. Didn't even get into that. Very incompetent group of uh, the gang that can't shoot straight. And my, my fear is that sometimes they will be able to shoot straight. And I, I'm not giving my inheritance. So Nevot says uh, to Ahav, you know, forbid, I'm not going to do it. That's verse 3. Verse 4, Ahav comes home, sullen and displeased because of the word which Nevot the Jezreelites. So in his brain, it's interesting, he keeps on saying what happened there. I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. Can't not stop saying it. And he lays down upon his bed and he turns out and we're on the page two. And he turns away his face and he eats no bread. And uh, Jezebel comes to him, you don't eat any bread? Which I guess her conversion was pretty good. Um, and he said, you don't eat any bread? And six, he says to her, and he repeats the whole story. What does he sound like, uh, Achav? Spoiled child, an incompetent child, an idiot child. Excuse me, none of ours, but he sounds, this is what he sounds like. Seven, Jezebel says to him in the Hebrew, Ata, you. Ata. You're, you're acting like a king? You're not acting like a king, but she doesn't say you're not acting like a king. You're acting like a king? She makes that kind of, kind of question. Arise, eat bread, be merry. I'll give you it. Then she wrote letters in Ahab's name, and there's a whole conspiracy. Sent letters to the elders and the nobles, and she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and set Nabot at the head of people and set two men, base fellows, before him and let them bear witness against Nabot, saying he, you can't even, you're not even allowed actually to say these words, curse, and then say the name of the Almighty. We say bless God, meaning the opposite of bless, because it's such a horrendous thing. Right? What are the ministers in the Likud doing right now? Calling, calling the chief of staff of Sahal, where we send our children, we put them in the hand, calling them an enemy of Israel. They're calling them an enemy of Israel. They aid the terrorists. You get rid of the Supreme Court. 
talking, going back to this lecture, sub-lecture I'm giving, on, I'm giving you on this, uh, what do you call it, uh, this uh, autism, not autism, it sounds like autism, I'm aut what? autocracy, and the uh, legal nature of autocracy. So what you do is you get, the, you get the vote, and then you get rid of all the checks and balances. You get rid of the Supreme Court, get rid of the moral force, of the option, and you curse out the army, carry him out and stone him that he die. And that's exactly what happens in 11 and 12 and 13. He, he blessed God. We'll just we'll take him out and we'll stone him. And that's what they did in 13. And in 14, they told Jezebel that it happened. And in 15, Jezebel sends a message to Ahab, arise, take possession of the vineyard. Actually, the not the best translation. Kum, resh et kerem devot. Rise and resh, from the word Yerusha. Take as your inheritance. That's exactly what's happening now. It's our inheritance. Kamara has, uh, which I'm not going to show you, but I'll just say, Kamara has a question there. What, what do you mean inheritance and all that? Well, he said there's a machoket, a disagreement in Gamora, and one says that the king... Um, a king who dispossesses, uh, not dispossess, who, who, if someone dies by royal decree, is executed by royal decree, let's say it better, executed by royal decree, yeah, actually by royal decree, the property goes to the king. Another rabbi said, no, actually it wasn't that. What it was is that uh, Ahab was actually the nephew the nephew of Navot, and uh, therefore he had a hand in, and he may have, uh, and Ahab may have also had uh, the children of Navot, who's probably an elderly man at that point, uh, executed as well. In any event, in either case, that's why he, the, the law is being used. It's not like there won't be law. There'll be law. It'll be law like this. And that's exactly what happens. So Ahab does it. He goes down in 16. He possesses. The word comes to Elijah. You better go down and you better confront Ahab. By the way, Eliyahu has a hell of a time. I mean, he's running all the time. He's got to do, do military work. He has to go up against hard people. And it's not some... English-made movie that he's speaking, speaking to King's English, and he's wearing uh, a simple but nicely tailored gown, <laughs> and he speaks, you know, these wonderful things. He's probably croaking this out. He's the Schmendrick. He's the Nudnik. He's coming alone. And the word of the uh, speak to him saying, and here it becomes a very big phrase, Aratzachta v'gam yarashta. Never understood it fully as a kid. I don't know if I fully understand it now. Will you murder? What do they say here? Kill? No, it's murder. Ratzach is murder. Will you murder and indeed inherit? In other words, maybe it's a protest against that law or that custom or however the law has been used. Nothing, 
more evil than that. Sometimes we can understand certain things happening, but this combination of murder and taking over property is going to go somewhere. What I'm talking about is going to go somewhere. And uh, 21, I'll bring evil upon thee. I will sweep thee away. This is God speaking through Elijah. I'll make thy house like the house of Jerovim, the son of Nevat. In other words, that, that dynasty was ended, divine punishment. Now we turn to page three. The Lord says, the dog shall eat Ezebel. And he, the 24, him that dieth have in the city, the dog shall also eat, meaning from his family. 25, there's none like unto Achav. Achav, I got to hand it to you. There's no one like you. You're the worst we ever produce. You gave yourself over to the most evil. We never had anyone like you. Jewish irony, irony. I have to say this. And a gal who worked for a year coming from Northern California, worked for a year in a cannery to afford to study with me in uh, Pardes. And she came and uh, she wanted to convert to Judaism. She worked for the year in order to do that and to make the money. Family, really a family of farmers. I mean, far away as possible. She went to uh, a certain university and she studied as a minor in the Jewish studies department, which consisted solely of modern Jewish literature. So I said, from Portnoy's complaint, you want to become Jewish? I mean, like, it's not like she was studying something holy. And she said, no, it was something else. And I said to her, I thought, and I look, looking at her, her back, I said it was the irony, wasn't it? You like the irony in Jewish writing. She said, that's it. I want to be ironic. <laughs> Jews for, I, I, I bought her a t-shirt. I made it up. Jews for irony. <laughs> in any event, this is very painful to me. That's why I go off to tell a story, right? I find this very painful. I'm hawking and I'm yelling because I find this very painful. I generally come to Israel, I come to America, and immediately, and it's chutzpah, I start talking like I know something, and I talk like something I'm, I remember my first trip, uh, one of my first trips back to America, yeah, 28 years ago, I don't remember, it was something like this. I said on a radio show, well, when we entered Janine, and uh, my daughter wrote me, we entered Janine, uh, but where were you? Were you there? And entered Janine. But I have to defend Israel. I'm part of that. My, I, I feel comfortable sharing that with you here, as my grandfather, a great Orthodox Rav, great Tanva Chacham, would say to me in my earlier, more <laughs> radical day. I think I'm still a radical. I just changed the directions. He says, remember one thing about the conservative movement. They've never been tainted by anti-Zionism. Only movement, not tainted by anti-Zionism. So I'm talking this way. I'm sharing pain with you. That's what it really comes down to. Trying to figure it out. It's not going to stop me. 
But something happens. So we're on page 3, verse 27. So Ahab hears all these words. He rents, tears Korea. He puts on sackcloth. He's got the ashes. He's in psalm. He's in fasting. And he goes softly on his way. And the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and says, See how Ahab humbleth. Actually, it says nichna, or subjugates himself to God. So that's actually a, a stronger firm. And he realized who's the real king. Before me, do you see that, Eliyahu? Because he subjugates himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. I didn't catch that. I didn't, I, I've always had a problem with that. I'm going to try to answer. Like, what does that mean? Finish up from the, uh, from the book of Kings. Very strange piece. So there comes forth a spirit stands before Hashem. We don't have a lot of that in Tanakh, at least Tanakh I've been reading. Okay? And the Lord says unto him, and he says, I will go forth and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. So there's a spirit, a ruach, speaking before, standing before Kosh amongst all the other spirits. If you're confused, please be confused because we don't really have depictions like this. And I will be a spirit, and I will be a lying spirit, a tzei v'hayiti ruach sheker, befi called nivav, in the mouth of all his prophets. In other words, I will infiltrate all his prophets that he listens to, and I will, I will make them deviate from what they should say. And God says, entice him, and you shall prevail. So the Lord puts a lying spirit in the mouth of all those prophets, and the Lord had spoken evil concerning this. So basically what the lying spirit does, it says to, it says to, says to Ahab, you know what, this is a good time to go against Aram, we'll go into battle, you go with Jehoshaphat, who's the king of Judea, he happens to be a righteous man, generally speaking, he's a righteous man, we'll go out together, Yerobam says to himself, yeah, yeah, but I better go in disguise because, you know, I still remember the earlier prophecy. And I don't know what's going to be, be now. And so a whole thing there on page three and the second half. And basically he goes out in disguise. Jehoshaphat is shown as a great uh, warrior and verse uh, 34, and a certain man, it says Ish, that's a man in the enemies, uh, Aram. And a certain man drew his bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the lower armor and the breastplate. Okay? Before, wherefore, he said to the driver of the chariot, turn my hand and carry me out, for I am sore wounded. The battle increased, and the king was propped up in his chariot against the Arameans and died middle of the day, or no, at the evening time, and his blood ran out, and the dogs, if you go on with it the next couple of lines, dogs licked his blood, as we said before. So what's this about? What I'd like you to do on page five, skip, uh, skip four right now, we're going to come back, we'll come back to the Rambam, and on page five, 
on page five from the Gomorrah of the uh, Sanhedrin. We're not going to do the whole page. Uh, we'll do a piece of it. So the Gomorrah Sanhedrin tries to explain some pieces of the, of the Malachim text, of the king's text. Um, tries to explain some parts of it that we might have. So like it says, it was a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. Of Nevada. Rabbi Yochanan said, what does it mean? Light. The light transgressions, minor transgressions, which Ahab committed were equal to the gravest committed by Jeroboam. Meaning, Yeruvim did terrible sins, but those were light sins for what Ahab did. Why then does scripture make Yeruvim the exemplar of sin? Because he was the first to be corrupt. He was the first to do it. He broke the wall. And therefore, he allowed for other kings to even be worse. And goes on in this way in different directions explaining this. But in the middle of the page, it says, why did Ahab merit royalty for 22 years? Because he honored the Torah. It was another part of, he was a donor. <laughs> so good before the high holidays. At the same time, he hedged his bets. He was a major donor. He was holding the Sefer Torah on cold Nidre night. He was a major donor because he honored the Torah, which was given in 22 letters. And then the rest of the Gemara talks about that, yeah, yeah, Ezebel, Jezebel made sure that all this money was given for Baal worship, for worship adoration. But Ahab had something in his, in, and so the, something in his being that allowed him to do something. So what is this about? What basically what the Gomorrah is trying to do, go to page six. What Gomorrah is trying to do is actually raise the stakes. Raise the stakes. Um, in fact, this is where it says, the second line. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work with wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel's wife stirred up. We saw that in the verses. Whereupon it was taught, now we're back in the Gomorrah, every day she used to weigh out gold shekels for idols, yet thou sayest he was equally balanced, his whole thing. He did bad things and he did some good things. But Ahab was generous with his money, and because he used to benefit scholars with his wealth, half of his sins were forgiven. And there, so we're right in the middle. There came forth, you understand, so what do we do? The Gomorrah does this. He wants, as I said, raise the stakes of the drama. So he's doing some good things. Can't he pay out? Well, maybe half of the sins. Maybe. But what happens? So these next lines are important. There came forth the spirit, quoting, for the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said, wherewith? And he said, I will go forth and be a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets. We saw that. Uh, and God says, you shall persuade him and prevail, you'll be successful. Go forth and do so. Then the Gomorrah asks the question, a lying, what, who's, what spirit is this? We usually don't talk about spirits. Okay. Rabbi Yochanan says, the spirit of Nevot, the Jezreelite. There was a spirit. It was Nevot's spirit. So when I learned this originally, Relearned it, relearned it. Uh, I said, oh, that's Nevot, 
It's his uh, nakama. It's his uh, revenge, right? He goes forth. He enters it. He tells, he tells, go into the battle, and you'll be fine, etc. And it finally occurred to me, no, no, it's different. Ahab, Ahab may have done tshuva. And the rabbis are ready to say he did some form of tshuva. The, 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 the Tanakh text, the text from, says he did humble himself. He subjugated himself. But they said, you know, but something remains. What he did to Navot remains. And his ability to murder and to take over corrupted his entire spirit, even that he did tshuva. It corrupts him. It makes him feel invincible. All things are possible. We'll put the right people on the court. We'll find the base fellows to lie. We'll cast all groups of people as leftists and as enemies. We'll do that because we're able to do that. So I'll go into battle. I'll be okay. It was a spirit of the. It's not revenge of a mystical Navot spirit. It's a Navot spirit that he inculcated in himself, not of Navot, the spirit of what he did to Navot. And this is what happens. And it becomes even worse for another generation. So, how does the Rambam see it? We now got all the stuff, and we can now go to the Rambam. The Rambam's on page four. And the Rambam on page four. I think, Mishnah Torah, from the book of uh, Nezikin, Damages, the section that deals with murder and uh, saving life. And middle of nine, I should take it, second line, if a defendant is liable for execution, be executed. If not liable for execution, he should be released. Although there are other sins that are more serious, in other words, basically saying no, no rachmanut, no mercy, there are other sins that are more serious than murder. They do not present as serious a danger to society as murder does. Now, what's murder here? I mean, what's the term? Dangerous society and all the rest. Even though there are sins that are worse even than murder. Remember Rambam the philosopher. Rambam is looking at what signifies an act. He'll explain himself in a moment. You'll agree or disagree. But catch what he's saying. Here it says danger to society. Not good. There is nothing that destroys civilization than murder. And that's why there should be no, no mercy for the murderer. You can argue, disagree with that, but that's his assessment. And now he explains. Even idol worshiper, idol worship, and you still say adultery, incest is not the right translation here. Adultery or the violation of the Sabbath are not considered as severe as murder, even those ones. For these sins involve God's, man's relationship with God. Incest is, um, is not, it has to be adultery. Uh, involve man's relationship with God, while murder 
also involved man's relationship with fellow man. Many things you can do to your fellow human being, but once you murder, that's it. Whoever commits this sin is an utterly wicked person. But what I want to look at, which I've always missed in the Rambam, but I, I started to see it uh, last night, is this principle of yishuv shalom, civilizing society. It's an underlying motif in rabbinic value system. Who contributes to the civilizing, the settling, yishuv can mean settling, but in a good way, settling of society, civilizing of society. It means because of that principle, a parent needs to teach a child. In the Gomorrah it says a man needs to teach a son, but even hardline uh, postkim have agreed today. Uh, it means also parents to, uh, to, to both children needs to teach them a, a profession teach them a way, because if you don't teach them a profession, you saw that in Pirkei Avot, you don't teach them a profession, then you're teaching them how to rob, because they'll have nothing to, you're teaching them how to cheat. And this, and the Gomorrah here is saying, and this is because it's a violation of Yeshuv Olam. You have to have society be stable. And if you, and the case here, they're talking about murder, but the underlying principle of why murder is so bad, it's the most destabilizing thing possible. Uh, in a, that's in the positive sense about Yishu Volam, that you're supposed to teach a child a profession. So thank you, thank you for paying all that tuition. Uh, and you should continue. They should finish. And they should bring you nachas. They should bring you nachas. Um, but uh, on that same principle, a gambler is uh, forbidden to... Uh, to be a witness, not forbidden, it's disqualified for being a witness. And uh, Gamar has two reasons. Uh, one reason, it's disagreement. One reason is that gambling is based on, you really, it's kind of a stealing, because you're really trying to hop somebody else's money. We can talk about that. But, but the other opinion, which is the opinion, the first opinion is the opinion of the Shulchan Aruch. The second opinion, that of the Ramah, the Ashkenazic codifier, is that, is that a person who's not involved with civilizing society, that per, how can you trust that person? How can that person be a, uh, be a witness? Where am I at? Where are we at? Just a little bit more in the Maimonides, we'll get it. There was none like Ahab. You see that printed there? Gave him over himself to wickedness. And yet when his merits and sins were weighed in the presence of the Lord of Spirits, no sin that warranted it was not encountered balanced by a positive quality except the blood. So I'm saying this now in two ways. Go to Yeshuv Olam. We're in a situation that the, the we all talk about Tikkun Olam. You've got to move it higher. How about just existing and not ending up in chaos, not ending up people on the street, not ending up distrust for every institution that we have? That ends Yishuv Shalom.
will have a strong leader who will take care of it. That's Putin. We don't need that. We can't have that. We can't exist. And the words I don't want to say, and I'll just say it, and the problem of, say it, the problem of bloodshed is also a problem of where all this is leading. It's a tremendous problem. Who's going to go quietly to this kind of a life? Not, people are not going to go quietly. Not going to be simple. I have uh, three T-shirts I took home from the last demonstration. One said, it was beautiful, a, at a table given, uh, given out by people of my age and older, Mishmar at Beitenu and Mishutaf, let us guard our shared house. Very beautiful. Anybody 73 and older wore that. And then there was a second uh, one that says uh, about the, uh, the, the observant left, how small the uh, Amman, uh, or Amunim, right, Amunim, thank you. Trying to prove that we too, okay. And the third, at the table with black flags, monitored by tough guys, because I know a few of them, tough guys, tough gals, who did their service for Israel in all sorts of places. There is that T-shirt that says, Democratia or merit, democracy or revolution. And they're not joking. I wrote down a note to myself that in the shul I grew up in, very much like uh, Beth Ham, a community, a wonderful shul. Um, the technical term that the old men, used to sit with the old men. Okay. Um, the old men would refer to the one or two gamblers in the shul. They had a technical term for them. Bums. <laughs> that was, I thought it was a Yiddish word. I went home, asked my, asked my bubba, a bum. Okay, we had another term in the south side of Chicago where I grew up. Throw the bums out. Don't, don't be deluded about what's happening. I was asked by someone who I feel very close to here, so what are we supposed to do? You'll find what to do. You'll find what to do. Sound like a commercial, so I... <clears throat> yeah. I'm trying to find a... Uh, <clears throat> I'm finding a, within my yeshiva a kolel of, uh, of young progressive Tambidei and Tambodot Chachamim who are uh, uh, looking towards the future, future, who will be able to express this in Jewish, uh, in Jewish terms as my own, uh, as my own koyach uh, wanes. My problem is my koyach is not waning. Really, I just can't take it. We have to be out there. We have to be out with the right people. We have to say the truth. And, uh, and we have to, at the very least, as we pray for Tikkun Olam, try to ensure Yishuv Olam. Basic levels of, of society, of being civilized, I can't believe I didn't mention Itamar. 
not allowing crazed men to have their own armies. Own armies in Israel? We got rid of that in, in 46. Now can't have your own army. He won't use it. He'll use it. He's promised to use it, and he's an honorable man. I'm giving him the last word. My last word is those people can't have the last word. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, we're supposed to get out of here for, because of the Women's League is coming in at, at 11, but uh, for 10 minutes anyway, right. <laughs> um, I want to do uh, two things um, to put a lot of this in perspective. Um, first of all, this is a very Jewish discussion. Um, if you, I've been part of the priest-rabbi dialogue since it started in 1973, and if you remember in 1984, after Pope John the Paul had been, John Paul II had been appointed Pope, he was, uh, he was shot. And the next day, he went to the prison and forgave the person who shot him. So I said to the priest, what is this? Right? And they explained to me that forgiveness in their tradition doesn't mean what it means in our tradition. It means that I'm not going to be stymied by this. I'm not going let it, to let it stop me in my own life. Right? That, 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 that's the reason why all of the steps of tshuva that we talk about are not really relevant there. Or another example of this, um, for my many sins, I was at one point in front of 5,000 evangelical Christians in the San Diego Convention Center debating as to whether Jesus rose from the dead. Don't ask me how I got into that. <laughs> the question is, did Elliot rise from the dead? <laughs> that's right. So in the question, Ollie, what I said to them is, I really don't care whether you believe whether Jesus rose from the dead, as long as you don't try to convert us. That's the reason why I was there. The first question I was asked, and the question and answer was, do Jews believe in forgiveness? And I said, yes, but it has to be earned. And you heard 5,000 evangelical Christians go, oh! <laughs> right? Because part of the point of being a Christian is that you are forgiven even before you sin. And almost no matter what you do when you sin. And our tradition is really what I sometimes call a put-up or shut-up religion, right? It's a religion that requires not just the walking, the talking the talk, but walking the walk and, and taking responsibility. Sometimes the way I put it is Judaism spells responsibility with a capital R, right? Um, that we're responsible for what we do. And, and we have to be in order to have a civilized society. Now, the interesting thing is that the other point I wanted to make was that what keeps on coming to mind, both in America and in Israel right now, um, are James Madison's Federalist Papers. Um, if you've never read them, you should read them, right? Because what he points out, I mean, he's the one that argued for uh, a balance of powers, right? In other words, separation of powers. And you have at least three separate powers um, in the legislature, the executive, and the judiciary which the Brits did not have, and unfortunately that's what led to Israel's form of government, right, because the executive comes out of the legislative right. in that form of government. So the only... Yeah, only it's a unicameral, so it's even worse. Yes, it, and that's right, and, and unicameral, which is even worse. In the United States, we have 50 different states, each with, uh, with these, these kinds of, of checks on their power, and then the federal government. That said, 
We just went through a presidency that really challenged all of that, and it's still being challenged in the courts right now. And God willing, we'll be able to maintain democracy here as well as in Israel, right? But Israel, I think, because of the, the structure of government there, has a, harder t- has a harder time doing it. And God, and thank you, thank you, thank you for leading that, that effort, Danny, really. I mean, it's uh, because I really think, I, I mean, yes. Because I really think that the, the existence of the state of Israel is more at risk now for internal issues than it ever was because of external threats. And it's a, um, and unless this kind of thing can be resolved internally quickly, I really fear for the future of the state of Israel. Um, and so the kind of thing that you're doing is, is literally, God willing, life-saving for the state of Israel, really. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.